Welcome to the City Hills Church Sermon Podcast. We hope that the message today helped you encounter God, love people, and discover purpose. For more information about who we are as a church, head over to cityhillschurchsd.com. If you would like to partner with us financially, click the Give button at the top of the homepage on our website. And now, let's jump right into the message. How cute was that retelling of the Christmas story? Our kiddos are so awesome. We were laughing the whole time. Uh, I love Audrey's little spin right in the middle of, of everything going on. It's just typical Audrey. But the Christmas story, man, it is one that has lasted the sands of time. It is a story that every year is retold and recreated and explained in different ways. And it's just this beautiful reminder that God saw that we needed to be rescued. And it wasn't enough to recognize that, but he sent our rescuer. It's such a beautiful story, such a beautiful picture of exactly what we needed. And it stands out to me because I have that, like this bad habit of, of watching fail videos. I love watching videos of people trying to do dumb things like jumping from one building or jumping things with like a motorcycle. And it just epically failing. I know it's maybe you, you, you don't like it, but you know what? We all loved America's Funniest Home Videos, and that's exactly what it is. And so on a bad day, I'll watch these fail videos, and it just kind of brightens my spirit. It's like, oh, I didn't do that, something that dumb today. But what's so funny about it to me is there's always someone nearby, and it's obvious that they need someone to rescue them from their dumb decision, but no one ever does. They see the potential of the video and it's worth whatever they're about to go through to get it on camera. But aren't you thankful that that isn't how God was? That God didn't just see us in our need for a savior, but he actually sent one. And that's what the Christmas story is for us. And so as we celebrate Christmas today, we've been in this series called The Family Tree. And we've been talking about this family that we want to be and and looking at these different things that we need to navigate in our lives. And hopefully it's been one that's been challenging and encouraging to you. Hopefully it's been one that's inspired you to live by values, not by volume, to live by principles and not pressure. Our family tree, the the family that we want to be, this story we want to tell with our lives. Hopefully you've been inspired and and God's been speaking to you over the last couple weeks through this crazy holiday season and encouraging you on how to become the family that you want to be. But as we look at our family tree, what about yours? What does your family tree look like? I mean, think about it. Is it unique? Is it filled with epic stories of adventure? Is it filled with stories of military heroes? Is your family tree marked by this one special character that just kind of changed everything? Is it stories that you're inspired to tell? Maybe for you, your family tree is just crazy. There's not a whole lot of stories you would want to tell. I know for, for our family, our claim to fame is on my dad's side, we're related to Captain Morgan, the pirate. And for me, when I found that out, it was such a like eye-opening moment. Like it was, I heard that and it was like, oh, okay, yeah. 
That makes a lot of sense. That explains so much about my family and, and the way that we've kind of lived our lives. But for me personally, it, it kind of just was this confirmation of, oh yeah, no wonder I love the ocean so much. No wonder I love to explore and find new places. No wonder for me change, it isn't this really bad thing. Change for me, a lot of times I embrace it and I look for it. And, and for a lot of people, change just represents fear and insecurity and instability. But for me, I actually enjoyed change over the years. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about those three basic needs that we all have, the need for security, for belonging, and for significance. Well, my pirate blood, significance is a huge deal. Like, I want what I do to matter. Security, ah, not so much. Now, some of that's changed since I've had kids. You know, I can't run around jumping off of things and being in epic fail videos anymore. I'm getting a little old for that now, but it's still one of those things that significance drives a lot of, of what happens in my life and what means a lot to me. And security, you know, I, I'm always up for an adventure. As a matter of fact, I just saw a, a few days ago, there's a place near me called the Smuggler's Cove. And I don't have all the equipment needed and, and the right vehicle to get out there, but I am going to figure out how to get to the Smuggler's Cove if it kills me. I cannot wait to go. But the truth that I want us to see today is that your family tree tells a lot about the person you turned out to be. Your family tree has a lot to do with the person you've, you are today, who you've become. And for better or worse, our family tree plays a significant part in our life. It's not the end all be all, but it plays a significant part. The reason why I say that is because for some of you, you learn what to do from your family. You come from a great background. You have incredible parents. Or you had an incredible, strong, single mom. Or, or you grew up with your dad who, who just helped lead you in the right direction. Or a grandparents. You've learned what to do. You've learned values and principles and behaviors. And you've got a really good perspective on life. For some of you, you've learned what not to do. And that's equally as important. You look at your family and you see how they live their life. You, you see the values that they have and the things that are important to them. And you're like, man, I, I do not want that. And that's a huge, important thing for your life. That your, your family tree plays a big part in the person that you've ended up being. But hopefully by now you've recognized that you're not stuck in that. You're not a prisoner to your family tree, that you have the opportunity to start today writing a brand new story with your family, a brand new story with your life, that it doesn't have to hold you back. Your history doesn't have to be an anchor in the past. It could actually propel you, if you use it the right way, towards your purpose. And today is actually all about someone who embraced their family tree, a crazy family tree. And it's this famous Bible character, or, you know, maybe he's a little known person by the name of Jesus. And Jesus has this crazy family tree, and he actually embraced it. He owned it in the Gospels. And we're going to take a look at that today. If you want to turn in your Bible, it's to Matthew chapter 1. And as we dive into this, when you turn to that very first page of the New Testament, the very first page of Jesus's story, 
you'll notice something interesting. His story begins with a genealogy or what we would call a family tree. And that seems a little odd, right? Like, why would you start your story by looking at thousands of people and thousands of years of just random people who were relatives of yours? Why, why is that such a big deal? Well, in Jesus's day, your family tree was incredibly significant. The name that you carried, your relatives, your history played a part in, in culture of how you lived. It spoke to what areas you had access to. A lot of times it spoke to your finances, your, your status as a society. Having the wrong family members was a big deal. Like having bad stories in your family tree was a huge deal. But having incredible heritage and, and incredible legacy and lineage, that, that was a major deal because your, your name opened up certain doors. But more important than that, in Jesus's story, it wasn't about more money or, or bigger parties or more access. The truth was Jesus's lineage was proof that he was the Messiah that he was the savior of the world, that he was the one that for generation after generation, they had been waiting on to come and be the rescuer of the world. And we don't have time to dig into this too much. And it just depends on which biblical scholar that you follow or you read. But most agree that Jesus fulfilled between 55 and 300 different prophecies from the Old Testament. And what that simply meant was that thousands of years before Jesus was there, there were people who heard from God who predicted and prophesied who this Messiah would be. And a lot of it was about his birth, where he would be born, the family tree that he would come from, uh, just different things that he would accomplish in his ministry, ways that he would connect with different people. And it was just this incredible thing where Jesus fulfilled all of the prophecies. And again, depending on who you read and depending on how far you want to break it down, it's anywhere between 55 and 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. This was a huge deal. The truth was in this society, a genealogy was similar to a resume. Like you wanted to put your best foot forward. You didn't want to like put the crazy uncle in the story. You didn't want people to know you for that. You, you wanted to leave out that aunt that had like a thousand cats. Like you, you, you wanted to put the best foot forward. If you're going for that once in a lifetime job interview, you want to paint this beautiful picture. But Jesus did something really, really different. Jesus's family tree proved that God is the redeemer of every story. Not just one or two stories, but of every single story. Jesus on his resume, Jesus and his family tree, he presents not just the good sides of it, but he presents this beautiful picture of how God redeemed crazy, crazy stories. 
So we're going to jump into this in Matthew 1, and we're going to skip to a couple different important parts because, one, I don't want you to fall asleep here as we get close to Christmas, reading out all of these names here. And the other part of it is I don't want to be on video trying to say Zerubbabel like 12 times, right? I barely got it out once. So we're, we're going to skip through a couple of these verses here, so bear with me as we jump in. But starting at verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And this is where we jump into the the genealogy. Verse two, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Interesting. A mom. Verse five, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Again, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Interesting. Verse 7, Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And we're going to skip ahead to verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. You awake still? You still with me? We cut out a whole bunch of names there that I would have messed up. But this seems pretty straightforward, right? You're going along and it's like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, whose mother was... It's like, wait, whose mother was? That's kind of interesting. Look, But you didn't do it for everybody. It wasn't like everybody's mom was listed. And this was really strange. This was a very unusual thing. It it actually would have been frowned upon in their culture because as we've talked about many times in their in their culture, women a lot of times were treated like possessions. They they had no legal right outside of who they were married to and, and the children that they bore. So the idea of including them in this genealogy was really, really strange. It was like, why would you do that? But then as you dig into the stories of the women who are listed here, these five women who are involved, it's like some of them, you would not want to highlight that history. You wouldn't want to tell their stories. And let's jump into it for a second and, and let me explain a couple of the stories and why it was such a strange thing to do. The first one that we saw in there was, was Tamar. Tamar, if you look back into the Old Testament, I believe it's in the book of Genesis, you'll find her story. She was married to Judah's son, and Judah's son died. And so in that culture, when your husband died, you would move on and marry his brother. That would be kind of weird, but this is what they did. So she married the brother, and then he died. So Judah goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I know you're not killing them, but you must be cursed. Like, what are you doing? And so it was time for her to marry the next brother. And he's like, nah, bro, you're not, you've killed two of my sons already with whatever's going on with, with you. I'm not going to give you another one of my sons. And this was, this was a breach of culture. This was a huge deal. And it left her outside of everything and struggling. And so she devises this plan. She says, uh, I know a couple of things about my family and a couple of things about my father-in-law. And so if he won't give me his son, I'll approach it a different way. So she disguises herself as a prostitute. 
Well, she knew about her father-in-law as I guess on a lonely Friday night, he would hire a prostitute. And so this Friday night, he shows up, he hires a prostitute, and it happens to be Tamar. So he sleeps with her, and she, she gets some of his possessions as kind of like a payment to make sure as she's devising this cunning test in her mind, and she ends up pregnant. And when she comes before everyone and says, hey, I'm pregnant, Judah's like self-righteous. He's like, oh, stone her, kill her. She's, she's just dirty and filthy, and she holds up his stuff, and she's like, oh, yeah? Who was the one who got me pregnant? And so the the story turns and and Judah honors her and and she survives and the lineage continues. But why in the world would you put that in the genealogy? Like, why would you want to say, hey, remember that time where we had Jerry Springer, the biblical edition in our story? Yeah, let's highlight that when we're talking about the Messiah. Right? Isn't that crazy? But it continues on. The next woman that we see in the story, whose mother was Rahab. Now, Rahab, she was a Canaanite woman, which means she she wasn't Jewish. She wasn't an Israelite woman. She was from the promised land that the Israelites were moving into, and they were taking captive of everything. She was what we would see in the New Testament as a Gentile, someone who wasn't Jewish. And she also happened to be a prostitute. But Rahab rescued some of the Israelite spies that came in during the Jericho days, and she she helped rescue them. She helped get them out of the city, and she devoted her life to the Lord at that point. But again, why would you put this in the story? More than just the prostitute part, you're inviting a Gentile into your bloodline. No longer is this bloodline of the Messiah pure blood. I don't know about you if you've ever seen like Harry Potter or something like that. Pure bloods don't have anything to do with people who aren't pure bloods. That's exactly how it was in this culture. So here it is in the Messiah's lineage and his story and his resume as the Messiah is a couple prostitutes and someone who isn't even Jewish. Like, what are, what are we doing here? It continues on. The third woman that we see in this line is Ruth. Thankfully, she's not a prostitute, right? Like, okay, this, we're getting a little bit of a, a theme here. But she was a Gentile, and she also was a widow. But she proved her worth, and she proved her integrity by sacrificing her future in order to stay with her mother-in-law. This was a huge deal. She, she stayed and, and took care of instead of going off and starting a whole new life. She stayed with her mother-in-law. And her kindness and, and God redeeming this story connected her with Boaz. And Boaz and her had a son who ended up being the grandfather of King David. Like the King David. Like it's this Hollywood twist of all time in the story. It's amazing how this Canaanite, Gentile, foreign woman leads directly to the bloodline of King David. It's so cool. And then we get to the fourth, Bathsheba. Or the Bible says it this way, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, Matthew, who was writing this, could have easily just said Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba. 
The people who knew the story would have known the story. And the people who didn't, it was like, oh, okay, his mom was Bathsheba, no big deal. No, 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 no. Matthew writes this and he goes, no, Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. What he's doing is he's highlighting one of the greatest scandals in King David's story. We just looked at the story a couple weeks ago, but just the short version of the story. David sees this woman while he's walking out, being in a place he shouldn't have been. He sees her bathing. He says, I got to have her. They sleep together. She gets pregnant and her husband doesn't want to like dishonor the men that he's serving in the military. So David goes, okay, well, I'll send you to the front line and have you killed. Right? It's a story of adultery and murder. And Matthew's like, yep, we're going to highlight that. We're going to make sure that's in the story, in the resume of the Messiah. Let's make sure we highlight that. God redeems this horrible story and and connects them together. And they have a son named Solomon. And Solomon continues on the line. And that line leads to Jesus. And then there's Mary in his genealogy, the mother of Jesus a woman who was righteous, who was devoted to God, who was preparing to get married just like every other woman when an angel appears to her. And I love how we like to just like Hollywood the story up and make it seem like this amazing, crazy, easy to say yes to proposition. But essentially, if you think about it, the angel comes to her and says, hey, listen, God wants to blow up your picture of what you thought life was going to look like. And he wants to give you the greatest responsibility in the history of childbirth. I mean, that's literally what he's doing. It's like, hey, you thought you were going to get married and everything's going to look like everybody else. But in reality, what's going to happen is you're going to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit and have to explain for nine months how you got pregnant from God as a virgin deal with all of the backlash in culture, what that's going to look like. And then after you make it through all of that, you get to be the mother of the son of God. Like, could you imagine that kind of proposition, that that offer? And, and yes, it's this incredible opportunity. But man, I think we all assume that we would just say yes. We just assume that we'd go, oh, yeah, this is what God wants. He sent an angel. Yeah, no problem. But would we really? Would we willingly surrender our entire picture of our lives to God and go, okay, look, I'll do it your way? I don't know that all of us would. The reason why I say that is because very few of us do. We want control. We want to paint the picture of our lives. We, we don't always want to hand that brush over to God. But Mary, her response is so amazing. She says, I'm the Lord's servant. Let everything you have said happen to me. It's amazing how she just willingly surrendered everything to the Lord. But Jesus' legacy, his resume, his family tree is one of scandal, of prostitution, of lies, of murder, of adultery, of Gentiles, of, of, in this culture, this is crazy, women being the hero of the story some of these times. This is Jesus's resume. And the truth is from the lineage of sinners came the savior of the world. From the lineage of jacked up people. This is not what we pictured 
the resume of our savior to be, you would think that it's just person after person after person who like the worst thing they ever did was like cross into their neighbor's property and plant an olive tree. Like this is not who I thought the family tree of the Messiah would be. His, His family tree was ugly. It was brutal. It was shameful. It was painful in some instances, but it was powerful. You see, it sounds like another tree that Jesus experienced, doesn't doesn't it? 33 years later, after he's born, our Savior is beaten and he's bruised and he's bloodied and he's broken. And he's thrown onto a a tree that's shaped into a cross. And it was brutal and it was ugly and it was shameful and it was painful, but it was powerful. It was powerful. You see, Jesus's death on that tree paved a way for a new legacy, for a new story, for a new history. And it's time for you and I to stop allowing our history and our past to hold us back from the legacy that we should be telling with our story, the legacy we should be telling with our family. It's time to recognize that God has redeemed your story. Jesus has redeemed your story. He's redeemed your pain. Jesus has redeemed your purpose. And it's time for us to stop living as if we have no control of what's happening and recognize that the Savior of the world has come and he was born and he has redeemed everything that you and I have been through. He's willing and able and capable of showing up for us in the way that we need him. The challenge is the only thing hindering you from becoming the family that you want to be is you completely surrendering it all to Jesus. You and I have tried for so long to shape our legacy. We tried to shape our story. We've tried to run away from our legacy and our history and our family tree. We've tried to be different or we've just embraced and said, well, I'm the same as them. But Jesus is here to change your story. And it's time for us to live that out. It's time for us to recognize that it doesn't matter what we've been, that we have potential to become something incredible. Just like this family tree, Jesus redeems this family tree of broken and crazy people, story after story after story of him taking what should have been horrible and turning it into something beautiful. But Danny, what about my finances? What about them? God doesn't need your riches. He's the ultimate provider. But, but what about my failures? Listen, it's obvious in his family tree that he's not looking for perfection. He's looking for your attention. Are you willing to give that to him? Are you willing to turn your eyes away from everything that's happened and focus on him? Or Danny, what about my spouse? Your spouse doesn't determine your, your purpose. Your spouse isn't the one that completes you. He is. We spend so much of our life asking another flawed person to be the perfect one for us, to fulfill all of our needs, to fulfill all of our insecurities, to help us navigate our lives. But Jesus is going, they were never meant to be that. They're just your partner to come um, alongside of you and, and help you when you're weak. Jesus is the one who completes you. So what would happen this year if you and I stopped asking our spouse to fulfill every one of our needs and we go to the ultimate fulfiller? Listen, 
Jesus redeemed the story of these women who were widows. He became the husband that they need. He fulfilled their purpose and he opened up incredible opportunities for them to step into their purpose. Whether or not they had the man in the life in this culture, you couldn't do anything without a man. And God goes, oh, yeah, watch this. Watch what I do. Watch how I redeem her story. Watch how I turn this horrible situation into something powerful. Well, Danny, what about my fears? What about my insecurities? We talk about it all the time. We talk about it every Christmas. You can either feed your faith or you can feed your fears. Not both of them. And it's time, guys. It's time as we step into a new season. It is time for us to feed our faith. To stop relying on everything around us to help us live out our purpose This year has looked completely different than what we all thought it would look like. And God goes, I haven't changed. I've been right here the whole time. You and I have got to get to a place where we allow God to redeem our story. This passage of scripture, as we wrap up today, has just been resonating with me so strongly through this series and over the last few weeks. It's Ephesians chapter two. You can turn there in your Bibles. And I just want to I want to read this over you and read this over your family as you go into this new year, as you celebrate Christmas together. These verses need to shape our lives as we move into another season. Verse four but God still loved us with such great love. He is so rich in compassion and mercy. Some of you need to just hold on to that. God is rich in compassion and mercy. He is filled with such great love. Verse five, even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. Verse seven, I love this one. Throughout the coming ages, we will be the visible display of the infinite, limitless riches of his grace and kindness. Some of us need to embrace that today. That we are in this age, the visible display of God's grace. Hold on to that. Recognize that your purpose is so much bigger than just your little family. We've got to understand that we are the visible image, the, the display of infinite riches of grace and kindness which was showered upon us in Jesus Christ. Verse eight, for it was only through this wonderful grace that we believed in him. Nothing we did could ever earn this salvation for it was the gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. Verse nine, so no one will ever be able to boast for salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving. Some of you on this faith journey, you're just trying to do good works. You're striving to be a good person. That's not what the gift from God is about. It's not about you being a good person. It's about you surrendering it all to Jesus. And what happens when we do that? Verse 10, we have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us, for we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. He has an incredible 
story for you to tell with your life. He has an incredible story for you to tell with your family, to be that visible display of grace and kindness. But it starts with surrendering it all to him. We've spent too much time surrendering just a little bit of our lives, surrendering just a little bit of our time. We need to be like Mary and go, hey, look, you want to blow up everything that I thought life was going to look like and give me the opportunity to be the mom of the son of God? Cool. Let it happen to me. Mary is a picture of a story surrendered to God. And I wonder how many of you have been running from that. Some of you watching this right now, you watched it because you heard your grandkids were going to be on the on the screen. Some of you are watching this because as a family member invited you, you've been running from God. You've been trying to tell your own story and you're wondering why it isn't fulfilling. You're wondering why. Well, I mean, there's a lot of good things, but it feels like something's missing. What's missing is you connecting with your savior. What's missing is is us not just telling the story we want to tell, but telling the story that God has planned for us all along. It's time. It's time right now to say, hey, God, I've been trying to do it on my own. Hey, God, I've been trying to give you a little piece of the puzzle, but it's time for me to surrender it all to you. Would you do that? Are you ready to make that decision? Are you ready to start a brand new year, not with some new resolutions, but with a new mindset, with a recreated person that will fulfill the destiny that God has put in each of us? Are you ready to do that? Come on, let's pray together, church. Let's pray and ask God to help us do that exact thing. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person watching this right now. I pray that you would just speak so clearly to them, that the Holy Spirit would just fill the room that they are right now, that they're watching this, that they would feel you near to them. God, for so long, we've been trying to become a good family. For so long, we've been trying to become a good person. We've been trying to live out a good destiny. But God, so many people have been trying to do it without you. And so, God, I pray right now that you give them the boldness to pray a simple prayer that says, hey, God, I surrender it all to you. I believe that Jesus was your son. I believe that he died on the cross for me. I believe that he rose again three days later. I believe that there is a life for me in eternity connected to you, Jesus. Right now, we surrender it all to you. God, I pray for the people who are praying that prayer right now, that you would just allow them to know that you are with them, that it's the greatest decision that they've ever made in their life. God, I pray for those of us who call ourselves Jesus Jesus followers. I pray, God, that you would just help us to see and recognize that we can't do this on our own, that we've got to let go of the paintbrush and allow you to paint the story of our lives. Jesus, we want to be a good family. We want to be good people. We want to live with purpose. But Jesus, we can't do that when we're the ones controlling it all. So give us the courage and the boldness to surrender it all to you. We surrender it all. We surrender it all. And we let you be the leader of our lives. Jesus, we pray all of this in your strong and your mighty name. Amen. Hey, guys. 
we love you so much. Merry Christmas. Know that we are believing that God has incredible things in store for your life. If you made that decision to surrender your life to Jesus, we're here for you. We want to be a part of this journey with you. You are not alone. Know that God wants to redeem your story and paint a beautiful picture. Thank you so much. We hope that you enjoyed the message today. We would love to be able to partner with you on your faith journey. Regardless of where you're at or what you're walking through, know that your friends at City Hills Church are here for you. If you would like for us to pray for you, click the contact button on the top of the homepage and share your request with us. Our prayer team will keep you and your family in prayer every week. We hope you have an incredible day and that you discover a little more purpose throughout your week. We look forward to seeing you soon.